Would you turn in your Bibles tonight to Job chapter 42? And I'd like to talk to you for just the next few minutes. I'll not keep you real long this evening, but I'd like to talk to you this evening about making your counsel count. And particularly, I'd like to speak to you about one of the things that we need to be careful of in sharing counsel with others to make sure that our counsel is effective and that it is not detrimental. Do you know that a lot of counsel that is offered is actually detrimental to the people who come looking for counsel and wisdom? And you ought to be very careful who your counselors are and when you receive counsel, and we all receive counsel every day of our life, multiple times a day. It's amazing how many people want to speak into our lives. And we can benefit from that, but we have to be very careful to, to, to sift the counsel that we receive through the wisdom and the truth of God's Word. But this evening, I'm not primarily wanting to speak to those who are receiving counsel so much as I want to speak to those of us who give counsel. And I'll explain why I believe this is important in just a minute. But let's look here in Job chapter 42, verse number 7. Of course, this is the end of the account of the book of Job, a book which is somewhat perplexing to many people as they read it and can be confusing if you don't understand the whole, the whole picture, the perspective of what is going on. Um, as you read through the book of Job, it is obviously the account of the sufferings of Job in the very beginning, the first couple chapters. And then in the following chapters, we find Job expressing his sorrow, his perplexity, his confusion over the circumstances that he's facing. And then we find several of his friends. It starts with three of his friends who have come to comfort him, and they are sharing their perspective or their counsel, and they're going back and forth with each other. Then later in the book, there's a fourth friend who comes and gives his perspective. And of course, then Job says some things about God and to God, and God enters the picture towards the end of the book, and God shares his perspective, which of course is uh, the, the overall perspective. It's the truth. It's exactly how things are. And in chapter 42, then, God speaks to Job, and Job speaks to God, and from verse 7 on is the conclusion of the book, and I really want to draw our attention tonight to verses 7 through 10, and in particular, a particular statement in verse number 7 that I want to draw your attention to. The scripture says, and it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept lest I deal with you after your folly 
in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went, and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, obviously, the main theme of the book of Job is the suffering of God's people and a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at why suffering may take place in our lives. And we find in the book of James that the patience of Job is referred to because, of course, Job faced his trials with tremendous patience and God blessed him for that in his end. But he suffered greatly. So that's the primary theme of the book of Job. But a sub-theme or a minor theme that runs through the book of Job is the folly of wrong counsel. And honestly, as you read the counsel of these three men, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, there's a lot of things that these three men said that was right. But the conclusion of the matter in Job 42 is that God came to these three men and he said to them, my anger is kindled against you. Now that sounds kind of serious to me, that God would be angry with these men for what they said. And I want to draw your attention to the statement that's made both in verse 7 and in verse 8 about why God is angry with them. And this is really going to be the primary thought of the message tonight that we're going to center our thoughts around and hopefully will be a help to you. But the thing that God was upset about was, ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. Now, tonight, I want you to think a little bit about how you and I offer counsel by way of introduction. Most of you are not what would be considered professional counselors. You don't have a shingle outside your door that says, counseling, come on in and I'll hear your problems and give you my perspective on that. The truth is, though, that all of us have opportunities to counsel other people. Frequently, people come to us, our loved ones, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, neighbors. They come to us with vexing situations or problems in their life, and they want to have some perspective. They want to have some counsel. They may ask for that counsel, or perhaps they come and they just begin talking about the situation that is facing them, and then as a result, we have an opportunity to speak into their lives. We ought to be made aware of the fact that these are good opportunities for us to represent God, but there are some problems and some pitfalls And obviously, in my capacity as a pastor, I do a fair amount of personal and family type of counseling, and that's a great privilege for me to be able to help folks with situations that are in their life. But as I've studied counseling, and I've spent a lot of time studying counseling and learning about how to be a counselor and how to help people with the problems that they have, one of the things that I've noticed is that there are some great pitfalls to people who offer counsel. 
In particular, when you are someone who is known as a counselor or someone that people could go to and ask for advice or counsel or someone who has a perspective of wisdom, one of the great pitfalls is pride. And if we're not careful, we will be offering counsel in a spirit of pride that is not consistent with the character of God. And this is something that we have to be very, very cautious about. Now think about some of the opportunities that we have to offer counsel to people in our lives. People will come to us with vexing circumstances, with burdens that they're bearing. Sometimes those are physical ailments. They're sick or someone that they love is not well. Uh, Sometimes that could be a financial burden that they're bearing and they're struggling to figure out how to make ends meet. Uh, there, There can be any number of vexing circumstances or burdens that people are bearing and oftentimes people will express those uh, when they feel safe expressing that to someone else. And they'll maybe unburden themselves a little bit talking about some of the, the pain that they are facing. You know, th- this world is a painful place. And because of the pain that people bear, they often don't know what to do with that pain. Obviously, in the book of Job, Job was facing some tremendous pain in his life. Sometimes we'll be asked to offer counsel about relationship difficulties, marriage problems, parents who are struggling to to raise their children and and keep them in in line, keep them in obedience and helping them to prepare for life, Uh, struggling with uh, aging, aging parents or the older generation and the things that they're dealing with and trying to to help them and and the burden that that can sometimes be, and all these types of relationship difficulties that can happen. People have conflicts at work, and they're struggling in their relationships with coworkers and neighbors, and, and sometimes they come to us, what do I do? I just don't know how to handle this person. And those are good growing opportunities. Sometimes people come to us for counsel, looking for direction for the future or decisions that they need to make. Maybe they need to, maybe they need to figure out Uh, some career decision, or they're thinking about moving to another place and weighing that out and trying trying to decide what is the best thing and what should I do, how should I handle this situation, how do I prepare for the days ahead. Sometimes people come to us just looking for counsel because they're dealing with the consequences of sin. Their life is weighed down, they are experiencing a great deal of pain, and Obviously, clearly, the pain that they're dealing with is brokenness. That is a direct result of poor decisions that they have made, sinful decisions that they have made, which are now affecting their life, and people will come to us. You could probably think of a myriad of other reasons why someone might come to you looking for counsel or looking for advice, but understand that all of us have opportunities to share our perspective. And something that I've noticed about us as human beings, just in general, make a blanket statement, most of us like to share our perspective. We like to share our viewpoint of things. And so if someone comes to us looking for counsel, boy, we are ready to give that counsel. But beware, because there is a pitfall. There is a danger in this. 
You say, what is this danger? Well, I want to give you a progression of thoughts which leads to the main thought tonight and the primary purpose or the primary focus of all counsel that we give. But let's back up and let's examine our hearts as those who may be asked to give counsel and let's think about some things that could become a pitfall in our life that could get us in a place where instead of being, being the one giving counsel, we need to receive some counsel. So first of all, understand that you and I can be guilty of wrong motivations in offering counsel to others. Now, hang with me here for a minute. If you were to read the entirety of the book of Job and view it through the lens of Job 42, 7, and 8, you would understand that the three friends who came initially to comfort Job, and I might add, we could be really hard on these guys, but they were remarkable friends. They sat with Job for several days without saying anything. They just were there with him, and they were there to comfort him and to show their concern and their love for him. So they really were true friends. But then as the story progresses and they begin to unpack more and more of their perspective, we start to see a little bit more of the wrong motivations that could, that could lead us to give counsel in the wrong way. You say, what, what kind of wrong motivations might we be guilty of in offering counsel to others? Well, I think one of them is that we want to be seen by other people as wise. We want other people to regard us as having something to say. We like to be respected. We like for people to look at us and say, hey, if I want to hear some wisdom, I go to that person because they really know what they're talking about. They've really got some good perspective. That's the kind of person that I want to get counsel from. And most of us want to be seen that way. We want when other people think of us to think, you know, that person, they really know what they're talking about. Most of us don't want to be seen as the person who has nothing significant to offer. Nothing to to add to the conversation. We want to be seen as wise. And this in and of itself may seem harmless, but it can drive us, first of all, to stick our nose into things that our nose doesn't belong in. In other words, offering counsel when we weren't asked to give counsel. That's a sure way to get yourself in trouble. Uh, Trying to get in there real quick. Hey, I'm going to tell you what to do in this situation. So, you know, a word to the wise, most people do not enjoy receiving counsel that is unsolicited. But because we want to be wise and we want to show how smart we are, we often insert ourselves into situations, and it really is a wrong motivation on our part. Now, you could say, well, I really just want to help. I want to be a, I want to be a help to them. I understand, but examine your heart and make sure that there's not something in there of pride. A second wrong motivation that we can be guilty of is we want sometimes to say pleasing things so that the other person will like us. So here they are dealing with this this vexing problem in their life, and we want to say some things to them that are accommodating and that make them feel better so that in return they'll like us and we'll feel better about ourselves and we can have this this session where, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. Oh, you're doing a great job too. And we can all walk away from that 
feeling good about ourselves, but maybe not having the right perspective. Now, I'm going to give the balancing side of this in just a minute, all right? So don't hasten to the side of saying, good, when somebody comes to me for counsel, I'm going to slam them. I'm going to really give it to them because that's not right either. But we can be guilty of not really speaking the truth because we don't want the other person to not like us. A third motivation we've got to watch out for is, frankly, most of God's truth is countercultural, And it sounds kind of crazy. When people come looking for counsel and you're speaking to them with God's wisdom, which of course is the basis of true counsel, it's very much countercultural, and it makes you sound like you're out of the mainstream. I mean, if you talk to people about family relationships and you base your counsel on the Word of God, you're not going to be talking in line with this culture. I remember years ago, I had a, a fellow that wanted to come see me with his girlfriend. And he wanted me to give counsel to them. They were not saved. And he wanted me to give counsel to them about their relationship. And they were having some problems. And this is no one that any of you know, so I'm not talking about anybody that you're going to be familiar with. But he, he said to me, now, I mean, basically, it became clear what he wanted was for me to fix his girlfriend. And I said, now, you do understand that I am a biblical counselor. And that what I'm going to say is going to be from the Bible. He's like, that is exactly what I want. I said, okay. So they came. And, of course, in their situation, they were, they were cohabiting. They were living in sin. They were violating God's clear commands about a lot of things. And they told me about their problems. And I said, you know, frankly, here's what the Bible says. The reason you're having these problems is because you're disobeying God in these areas and you need, to, you need to move out, you need to stop living together, and you need to stop having relations with each other. That's not right. And you need to focus on your relationship with God, and maybe in the future God will give you an opportunity to have a relationship with each other. And the end of that was that they never came and saw me again because that wasn't what they wanted to hear. You see, people want to hear a certain thing, and and it just never, I think honestly, in his case, it just never occurred to him that biblical counsel would be completely opposite of what he was doing. But sometimes we're reluctant to speak in a way that is countercultural because it makes us sound a little bit crazy. Like, And I've had people, and I've dealt with that sort of a situation many times, And, uh, you know, I've had people say to me, nobody thinks that way anymore. I mean, that's just not how the world is. People do this all the time. What, you know, you guys are way out there. I get it. I, you know, in some ways that's true. That is how the world is, but that doesn't mean that we can go along with that with God's wisdom. So we've got to be careful about that motivation of, well, I want this person to keep coming to me. So I want to be careful what I say. Um, the other side of that is we don't have to be obnoxious on purpose either. So we don't, we don't have to try to offend people with the truth or with the, what God's statement is. We need to learn to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. A fourth motivation that could be wrong in offering counsel is wanting other people to see us 
as really righteous and really holy, really, in, in some ways, superior. And so we want to feel good about our, our relationship with God. And, and the, the, I'll talk in a minute about what the result might be of this kind of a motivation. But sometimes we're, as we're giving counsel to others, we're trying to impress them with how spiritual we are and how close we walk with God. And maybe we're even embellishing things a little bit and not being quite honest and, and we're not being sincere in our, in our counsel. And this can become a real problem. So notice that as we are asked to give counsel, there can be some wrong motivations. And I would just say, if you, when you give counsel, you ought to really examine your heart and ask God to help you with that to make sure that your motivation is correct. Now, when we have these wrong motivations, second of all, these wrong motivations can lead us to offer wrong counsel. So when we have a wrong motivation, we're, we're trying to get something out of this counseling conversation, this counseling relationship where we're giving advice to this person and the root of it is wrong for us and then we can end up giving this person wrong counsel or wrong advice. You say, what does that look like? Well, sometimes we're trying to give clever advice to people. We're trying to come up with something that sounds really clever and really novel instead of the truth. Because honestly, the truth, biblical truth, to most people is boring. Biblical truth, they've discounted that already. They've said that doesn't work they, they usually call it this. Those are the Sunday school answers. I need some real stuff for my life. No, what you need is Bible truth. Bible truth is not that complicated. It's not, that, it's not usually that deep. Actually, the, the profundity of God's wisdom is that it is deep while it is accessible to all. It's readily available, but it... it it fits. It's truth. It, it, is, it is exactly what we need for life. But if we're not careful, because we want to be seen as wise, we can be trying to come up with some clever way to put it or some clever way to, to, to package it so that the other person will think, wow, what a clever person. Instead of thinking, wow, God's wisdom is really great. They're thinking, wow, this counselor really knows their stuff. Okay? A second problem that can come is if we are wanting to say pleasing things so the other person will like us, we might be advising someone to go ahead and satisfy their flesh. We might be saying to them, hey, look, your situation's really tough and there's just nothing you can do. Just, I mean, go ahead. I, I get it. Go ahead. And, and that's probably what you need to do. That's not going to solve the problem. That's not going to, that's not right counsel at all. Advising someone to go and sin is not right, although it may make the other person feel better and it may allow us to have a short term better relationship with them. It's not right. A third problem that can come is when we're trying to conform scriptural truth with progressive and modern thought. This is exactly what we see happening right now in regards to um, gender dysphoria and 
same-sex relationships, and there are a host of purported Christian voices out there that are saying, you know, the Bible really doesn't condemn that kind of behavior. It's okay. It's no problem. And, and we need to stop, you know, Christians need to stop being so judgmental and, and this sort of thing. What is going on? Well, they're trying to conform God's word to the voices of the world, and that just doesn't work. Now, we need to be careful as well when we're standing for biblical truth that we're not lowering the hammer on people. But we, we need to be careful that we're not either trying to conform scriptural truth to the way that the world sees things. That idea of a wrong motivation when we want to be seen as righteous and holy can lead to this. We can be overly harsh and demanding with the exacting standard of scripture. We can apply the law the letter of the law. I mean, we can just let people have it. And this is the balancing side of this. You know, we don't, we don't change God's truth to conform to the world, but we ought to be compassionate with the things that people are dealing with. You do understand that when people are trapped in sin, it's vexing to them. It, it, it is causing them all kinds of trouble, and they need to be gently alerted to the fact that Their sin is causing these problems in their life. But we need to be careful that we're not just looking for a chance. Man, I'm going to give it to them right between the eyes. That's not a scriptural counselor. Actually, that was what was going on in Job. The three friends of Job decided that they knew why Job was facing these things. And the reason was, in their mind, Job sinned. He was wrong. And so most of the book is them valiantly trying to convince Job, God doesn't treat people that he loves this way, and therefore you must have sinned, and you need to find your secret sin and get right with God. And they were being overly harsh and overly demanding to a man that at the beginning of the book, God said was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. But they became self-righteous. And they tried to offer counsel. You see, what can happen is when we become overly harsh and demanding with the counsel of Scripture, it can lead us to becoming proud and defensive about our counsel. We can begin arguing with the other person in self-righteousness. And instead of them coming into conformity with Scripture and needing to see what the truth of the Word of God is, it becomes about who's right. I'm right, you're wrong. And once you get that attitude as a counselor, you've lost. You've lost access to that person's life. They've already shut you off once it becomes an argument. You can see this progression in the book of Job. Job, by the time his friends start treating him this way, he has completely shut them off. All he's doing is answering them and, and so they're saying something to him, and he's coming right back at them. And he's a pretty smart guy. 
So he's got lots of things to say. And they're just going back and forth and back and forth with each other. And Job is insisting, no, I haven't sinned. I know that that's not what's going on. I, I, I don't understand why this is happening, but it can't possibly be that. And they come back, no, you're definitely in sin. You need to repent. You're, you're not right with God. God just doesn't treat people like this. And they're going back and forth through the whole book. You read it and see if you don't see that. And... In addition to this, this causes us to speak without listening. And because we're speaking without listening, we're applying the wrong counsel to their situation. Have you ever done this with your kids, those of you who are parents? Come into the room, something's going on. In a millisecond, you figured out what was going on, and you said, you, there, you, over there, you are in trouble. I'm taking care of this. And then a little while later, maybe your wife comes along and says, um, honey, you didn't quite understand what was going on there. You, you pronounced a verdict and you passed judgment and you established the consequences and you got it wrong. Ever happened to any of you? Of course not. No one in this room would be guilty of that. Don't admit it, right? Been there, done that. Been there, done that. And, and then what? You know what? In that situation, now I, I have to go back and I have to make that right. Because I spoke without listening. I corrected without understanding. Much of counsel is listening to the other person and understanding their perspective, understanding where they are coming from. If you don't understand them, you cannot give them godly counsel. You're liable to give them something that isn't what they need at all because you are in a hurry to give counsel. There was a a famous pastor number of years ago, who had a habit of giving counsel at the end of the Sunday evening service. And they had a special name for it, but it was a large church. And so he would stand in the back of the auditorium, and anyone who wanted counsel would line up. And you would get about three to five minutes. And he would pronounce his counsel, and then next, next person. And usually after Sunday evening service, you know, there would be a long line and people would come through and and he would say, this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to do. And this is what you need to do. I'm sorry, brethren, but you cannot understand hardly any complex life situation in three to five minutes to give godly counsel. I mean, you can you can say, well, I have the gift of discernment and all this kind of stuff, but you're you're not going to be giving godly counsel. You're going to end up speaking wrongly. And, and that has the potential for great harm when we speak wrongly. So we can be guilty of wrong motivations. And these wrong, wrong motivations can lead us to offer wrong counsel. Now, look at our text here in Job 42 and that phrase. Notice what God was offended by and what God was addressing in these men. He was so offended by it that he told them they needed to go And they approached Job with sacrifices so that Job could offer those sacrifices and pray for them 
Because God said, my anger is kindled against thee. Why? For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right. And this brings us to the heart of counsel. What is it that we are doing and what is the most important consideration in counsel? It is this. How do I speak about God? The most important consideration in counsel is how do I speak about God? This is significant. Oftentimes we think when someone comes to us for counsel, they're coming to us so that they can benefit from our experience and our wisdom. Because we've learned some things that they've never learned. And we've got some perspective that they need to have. And, but actually, the heart of counsel has more to do with us pointing them to the greatest counselor that ever was and has very little to do with what we know. We have to be so very careful in our counseling about how we speak about God. There was one thing that was of importance to God that he addressed. There were several things that they got wrong with their counseling, but the thing that bothered God was that they had not spoken rightly about God. They had not understood God, and because of that, they had spoken out of turn about the character of God. In particular, they had characterized God in their arguments to Job as being harsh and vindictive. And God is not harsh and vindictive. God is long-suffering, and He is merciful, and He is gracious. Now, I'm not suggesting that God compromises His justice, but I do believe that we often overlook His mercy, His long-suffering, and His forgiveness. And especially if you are the kind of person, the kind of counselor who tries to live according to God's word, who, who believes in the counsel of scripture, and you, you say, hey, you know, God has given us truth. You need to be very, very careful how you speak about God, lest you give people the wrong idea about who God is. You and I, when people come to us for counsel, are often worried about telling people what to do. We're thinking, how am I going to tell this person what to do? How am I going to show them the path that they need to walk in? How am I going to give them good advice? But what people need when they come to us for counsel first and of utmost importance, even if we never get to sharing with them, here's the three-step plan that I think you should follow. What they need the most is the right perspective about God. Because... In every vexing circumstance, every trial, every burden that we're bearing, every difficulty, every problem that we face, we are wrestling with, what do I believe about God? Who is He? How do I relate to Him? I call these sometimes anchoring truths. They're truths that anchor our life when everything is tumultuous around us. And anchoring truths are always found in the nature and the promises of God. The reason is because the nature and promises of God never fail. They always, always are the same. So because of that, we can tie 
our life to these anchoring truths. As counselors, one of the things that we need to learn how to do is to help people not to look to me as the counselor, but to look to God and and to see that God has the answer for their problem. Too many times, and, and, and frankly, this is why when we give counsel to others, we can get offended because you know people will will say well i'm going to i'm going to do something different you told me to do this i don't see it that way i'm going to do this instead and then as a counselor we think well what'd you come to talk to me for then i mean if you weren't going to do what i told you to do why did you come talk to me and and we might even get the attitude you know well next time if you come to talk to me i'm just going to tell you well last time you didn't listen to what i said so Never mind. But actually, as a counselor, our job is not to tell people what to do so much as it is to point people to the true authority, which is God. And sometimes, you know, situations can be clear in that God spells it out in his word. But at that point, it's not so much this is my counsel. It's, well, this is what God says. This is this is how this situation, there's, there's no other way to approach this scripturally, but you understand that still people will do what they're going to do. So our most important task is to help them to think scripturally about their God and their relationship with God. Do you understand that a lot of times when people are going through troubles... God is up to something in the midst of that trouble to draw their attention to him. And sometimes, you know, we're focused on let's solve this problem. Let's, let's get rid of the trouble. Let's, let's calm the stormy water. Let's make everything better. And actually what needs to happen is they might need to stay in the trouble for a little longer because that's what God is actually using to draw their attention to him. And our energy would be much better invested in helping them to lift their eyes from their problem to who God is and and find that God is the problem solver. God is the great counselor. But in contrast to that, if in our counsel we lead people to a wrong understanding of God, any advice that we give them will be fundamentally flawed. Which means that as counselors, as those who maybe others are approaching us for advice, we need to have some things clear in our mind about who God is, what he's like. What are those anchoring truths for you? Where do you find them in the scripture? How can you point people to them? Now, I've said all this to say that it is a great error for us to give people the wrong understanding of God. This is true when we're evangelizing. This is true when people approach us with problems in their life. This is true when we're giving counsel to other brothers and sisters that we know and love and we want to see them experience what is best. This is true when we're advising our children. This is true when we're, when we're giving counsel to those who may approach us, say, hey, how would you look at this situation? We must be very, very careful how we make people think about God. Because we have responsibility for what we communicate about God. Do you see this? In this passage, God held these three men responsible 
for what they said about him that was incorrect. Do you know the other thing that really fascinated me in this passage? Is that God contrasted their error with Job's success. He said, you spoke about the things about me and and you didn't do it right, but Job did it right. Now that's something because Job got corrected by God, didn't he? God came and addressed some, some things in his life which were not right. But despite that, God said about Job, Job had the right perspective about me all along. He understood what was going on and he spoke right about me. Very interesting. So for you and I, when we have opportunities to give counsel to others, instead of taking the focus on ourselves and saying, yeah, that's right, you came to the wise counselor, I'm glad you came here, I've got some good advice for you, we need to point people to God. And then we need to be careful that as we point them to God, that we are speaking correctly about God, that that we're not repeating things that we've heard other people say about God, but we've never really studied it out in the scripture and we don't know him. Is is there anybody here that knows God perfectly and knows everything about him? Okay, I'm putting my hand down. I'm not going to raise my hand because I'm still learning a lot. I'm still growing in my understanding of God. I suspect you are too. Because of that, we should be hesitant to speak about things that we don't know about him. We should be careful. Sometimes, and, and it looks like this, you know, people will come and they'll say, why is this happening? I, I, I need you to help me understand why this is happening. And it's a real temptation, isn't it, in those times to ask them some questions and say, okay, I got it figured out. You've, got, you've been sinning against God over here, and, and here's an area where you're not right, and hey, we need to fix this problem over here. And in the midst of it, we could be communicating the wrong idea about God. So let me caution you about that. Trying to figure out why things are happening in people's lives is a losing game. You have no idea why things are happening in their life. You may think you know, but you don't have a clue. You don't have the perspective of what's going on in the heavens. You need to be very cautious about that because in the midst of trying to explain why things are happening, you may be communicating a wrong idea about who God is and what God is like. Instead, point their attention to the fact that there is a God in heaven who knows exactly why these things are happening. There is a God in heaven that they can come to with their trouble. Point them to the fact that he is a God worthy of worship and praise, whether it's good times or bad times, whether it's in the light or the dark. He's a God that we can worship and that we can cling to. Point them to some anchoring truths. And you'll find that most people, if they will go to those anchoring truths, will figure out what's going on in their life. They'll figure out what God has for them. And it'll be amazing how God will work in their life. And you, yeah, none of us really are wise counselors. We're just conduits to point to the one who is the only wise counselor. He's the one who should get all the glory, all the focus, and all the praise. So this week, as you have opportunity to give counsel, think about these things and make your counsel count.